Hey there, welcome to night school, the day before Thursday. It's been so long since I've used the proper names, the quote-unquote proper names for those other days, that I don't even remember what they are. It's like seeing a familiar face, but you can't quite put a name to it. That's how I feel about the other days of the week. Because Thursday, that is the day of the week. W-E-E-K. The other days of the week, it's W-E-A-K. They are the days of weakness. There's the day of the week, which is Thursday, and then there's the days of weakness those six other days, and today's one of them, but it doesn't have to be that week. I think the closer that a day becomes, the closer that another day of the week comes to Thursday, the stronger it gets. So today is stronger than yesterday, and the day after tomorrow will be stronger than the day after that. It all revolves around proximity to Thursday, which is going to be yet another autobiography that I'm preparing Proximity to Thursday. It's my life story. And I just got back from the grocery store. Just to, you know, start things off with a little bit of a diary entry. I just got back from the grocery store. Hadn't been for a little bit. And uh, first of all, I didn't buy any Bang Energy drinks. They still had the two-for-four deal. But I was able to rationalize it. I was able to say, hey, even though I can get two of these for two bucks each, they don't have any Miami Cola. And you're kind of like not referring to non-Thursday days of the week, you know, kind of like avoiding using their their old names, their quote-unquote proper names, kind of like how I want to avoid that. From now on, I'm just going to refer to this store, this grocery store, as the store that does not carry Miami Cola. This is the store that carries Bang Energy Drink, but to add, it'd be one thing if they didn't carry Bang Energy Drink at all, and you could just say, okay, they don't have a distribution deal with Bang. But the fact that they have just about every flavor except Miami Cola, it seems deliberately exclusionary. It seems like there's a reason why they don't have Miami Cola, even though I'm sure it would be a hot seller. It seems deliberate. It's like if you invite everybody in your school to your birthday party except for one person. It's like, oh, I guess I forgot you. I guess I forgot my... I guess we forgot to order the Miami Cola. And how does that work? How do you... I'd love to see the paperwork. I'd love to see the paperwork between this store, this quote-unquote store, and the Bang headquarters. See what kind of paperwork is there about... Make sure you order every flavor except Miami Cola. Except maybe it's the other way around, and for some reason, Bang has decided this store doesn't deserve Miami Cola. Maybe they did something wrong, and it's like, well, you can still sell all the other flavors, but our best one, we're going to give that to the better stores. But as a customer, all I can say is that this is a store that does not carry Miami Cola. It's almost like he who shall not be named... He who shall not be named. The store that does not carry Miami Cola. But what's funny is, as I was checking out, the guy and his girlfriend behind me in line, he's a the main guy from a popular metal band who lives here. And they're, you know, they're not Judas Priest. You know, they're not celebrities by any means, but they're a well-known band. 
and uh, I noticed, I don't know him personally, my friend, she used to work for him when he ran a bar, and I know people who grew up here who've known him their entire lives, and it is one of those things where I'm almost embarrassed to mention it for a number of reasons. Uh, just like I'm embarrassed to do anything, but now I'm I'm embarrassed to mention it for a number of reasons. For for a number of reasons, one because he he doesn't know me. It's always weird when you talk about somebody that doesn't know you, but you know who they are. But do you really know? They don't know who you are. You never really know. And we all play that game of pretending not to know people. But no, I really I've never been introduced to this guy. But yeah, my friend used to work for him and then I know people who know him and it's one of those things that's funny though where when someone's a big fish in a small pond, all of the little fish try to devour that person because everything I've ever heard about this guy is negative. And yeah, I'd be able to sift out one or two things that aren't too good, but the reality is people are looking to say things about somebody like this. And again, not that he's an actual celebrity, but definitely his band would definitely be considered local celebrities. And uh, the band, a lot of people who are into this genre would know that band immediately. But it was funny just because I noticed it. I noticed who he was. He's very distinctive looking, even with a mask on. And that's the funny thing, too, is here we all have masks. And I'd seen his girlfriend... I'd seen this girl going around the store, and uh, I noticed her right away because she was in kind of a gothy dress and had unique jewelry, and I'd never seen her before, but I just noticed her because I was like, that's a girl who has interests. There's a girl who's interested in, in things. You know, it's funny how you can just kind of know what someone's all about sometimes. Not that you know. I mean, not in some, like judgmental way like not like i i know what she's all about not that you can totally define who a person is but it's interesting when you see like oh i can tell from her tattoos and her gothy dress and her jewelry that that's a girl with interests and not interests in she watches like netflix every night or even though she might or like she's she reads Harry Potter books, but it's like you can tell that she has nuanced interests. You can tell that she's into, you know, music that's maybe a little less obvious than than everybody else in the store at that moment. You can tell she's probably into things that are a little more esoteric or wants to give that impression. You know, more embarrassing than mentioning that I recognize this guy in line behind me is like like giving this uh, analysis, this superficial analysis of his girlfriend. But I, but before I realized that they were connected, I saw her going around. Like I saw her in the yogurt aisle, my precious yogurt. Um, but uh, they don't make Miami Cola flavored yogurt. They make coffee flavored yogurt that's pretty good, but they don't make Miami Cola, Colar flavored yogurt but I saw her around it's just funny though because I was just like there's a girl with interests and that's such a funny thing to me when you can just know kind of what someone's into at first glance and subcultures do this you know Uh, I wasn't surprised to see that she was with this guy from a popular metal band I wasn't surprised you know because her her uniform, I guess you could say, you know, and yes, it does sound a little condescending, I guess. I don't mean it that way, but it's like her, her, yeah, her garb, her garb, you know, just it communicated that that she very well could have a boyfriend in a heavy metal band, in a heavy metal band. 
some kind of metal band, light metal. Um, but, uh, you know, just she had that look about her. And I was thinking about this recently, especially with politics, how, you know, things exist. Things are in such a state today that you can look at someone and immediately know their politics, depending. Like if you see a girl with short pink hair, you know, a bunch of tattoos, you know, wearing kind of baggy mom jeans, you know how she thinks, you know, and, and you know that she is probably pretty far left. You kind of know how she feels about most things on the political, the socio-political checklist. You kind of know the things that she's been expressing online, especially in the last few months. You just know it. Like, you don't see a girl with short pink hair, mom jeans, and tons of tattoos and say, there's a Republican. Now there's a Republican. It's kind of like I was saying recently about, like, Buddhist Republicans, when someone's like, oh, I'm a Buddhist, you typically don't think, well, there's a person who votes Republican. There's a, you know, there's a, a Donald Trumpsfeld supporter. But you never know. I mean, there are people who, there, there are people who are out there. Uh, they exist. If, if, the, if the possible combination, if it's possible to combine those things, somebody's done it. Somebody has been so in need of a unique identity myself included, that of course there are Buddhist <clears throat> Republicans out there. There's probably girls who have that look that screams liberal arts college who might be a little bit, you know, right of center. Although I'd be shocked. That's one group of people, you know, not to judge every book by its cover, but that is one group of people. Like when I see people who have that look, it's very hard to imagine them being Republicans. And, and if I meet that girl, well, I got the wedding ring ready. I'm not, Well, what's funny about that is because I'm not a Republican, if I were to meet that girl, that liberal arts college girl wearing the liberal arts college uniform, and, and she turned out to be Republican, she would probably hate me because I'm not right-wing enough. Because I'm not Republican, <laughs> it'd probably be like this. I, I would I would feel like I found this elusive, uh, you know, girl of my dreams, and then it would turn out that I'm not nearly right wing enough because I'm not. And uh, you know, but to even meet a girl like that who considers herself a centrist or politically independent, you know, I, I'd be surprised at that right now. Uh, you know, and I don't mean to say that everybody who is on the far left is some kind of mindless, you know, drone just going along with it. I'm not trying to say that at all, but I am saying that people who look a certain way, people who look that way in particular, you know, they're generally not going to believe something else. And it's weird how you can instantly know that. Like, I had a girl who, she didn't look like that, but I was walking at my old college, which is near here, and it's been great because it's been totally empty for months. And uh, it was the first time a girl I felt was hitting on me because of my dog. Like, I certainly don't have a dog. I mean, I'm not looking for anybody to hit on me at all. And so I certainly didn't get batty, <laughs> you know, so that, you know, a girl would hit on me. But this girl was like, you know, considering the whole, like, social distance thing, I noticed her heading in my direction. And we were the only people in the entire area. 
and she was, you know, giving complimenting my dog and was very, very friendly. And it was nice, honestly. It was nice. It was nice to get that attention a little bit. You know, we didn't exchange names or phone numbers. But I did kind of think about it where I was like, even if I wanted to get to know her, I'd be worried right now. I'd be worried about uncomfortable conversations. And and not that you shouldn't have uncomfortable conversations, but I guess I just, you know, she had a certain look and... And she was beautiful, but it's like she had a certain look about her that made me think certain ideas are very important to her. And maybe I'm wrong for thinking that. I very well might be wrong for making that assumption. There might be a lot of people out there who aren't as possessed, you know, who aren't as aggressive as I feel that people are right now. But it crossed my mind. And I kind of, I didn't like that it crossed my mind. I didn't like that I thought like, oh, wow, like a a beautiful girl just, you know, came over to my zone. She didn't invade my space. She didn't get like super close to me, but she got closer than anybody else has. And she was very, she flirtatiously complimented my dog, which honestly, I'm proud of my dog. So just on its own. I, you know, I knew she wasn't lying. Batty is a dog that I think people, w- as long as he's not barking at you, I think that people would compliment him. I think they should. But anyway, I just, I, I it was just, it just kind of sucked because I was just like, I'm not, I- I'm not even interested in somebody being a part of my life at this moment. But I did kind of, I thought like, are we even in a, a, a social political climate right now? where this is a good idea. Am I insane for thinking that? Maybe. Does it say more about me? Maybe, probably. Probably. And more importantly, does she like Miami Cola? But it's, it, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, she she didn't have like a uniform on, but I just kind of got a, a feeling. Maybe it's my own paranoia. But I do like the idea of people who break that mold, who look like they should believe a certain way, and they don't. Buddhist Republicans, liberal art school girls with dyed hair and tattoos on their necks who are diehard Reagan-worshipping Republicans. It's fun. It's fun to think about that. But the difference is there are a lot of people who don't. You know, there are a lot of people who don't wear a, a particular uniform, which I think is, you know, it's kind of the value of not being immediately recognizable, you know, especially with a certain subculture. Like when I was a teenager, I, you know, I wanted to look, you know, I, I grew my hair out at, long at one point. I wanted to look a certain way. I wanted people to have a good idea of what I'm into, and there's a lot of value to that. I mean, you can make friends. I mean, it's good. It's better because sometimes if you don't look that way, if you don't look, if your looks, if your appearance doesn't communicate something to people, they can assume, they can be put off by what you're actually into because they had a completely different idea of you and then they found out you were into this weird stuff or whatever. And that's, you know, who cares? If people don't like you because of what you do or whatever, that's fine. Um, so there is value to being able to communicate 
a little bit about yourself by your appearance, but I, I guess I do have some admiration for people who just appear as a blank slate, who just kind of look like Americans. And there are a lot of people who look that way, and you wouldn't be able to know. Like, there are a lot of people you'd look at them, men and women. You know, I didn't mean to, like, be like... I didn't mean to, you know, put a spotlight on... A harsh spotlight only on women here, but there are a lot of people, both men and women, where you can look at them, and you really don't know what they believe in. You don't know. They they just... They're, they're in a t-shirt and jeans, I don't think about, you know, jeans are weird. Like, I've had some black jeans, but it's been a very long time since I've owned a pair of blue jeans. You know, it's been a very long time. And considering how normal that was in the 1950, post-1950s world, and throughout my entire childhood, it it seems like jeans have been kind of on the out. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but it's just, to me, the idea of wearing jeans seems really uncomfortable and weird. Blue jeans in particular. Black jeans, you know, you don't really know if somebody's wearing uh, dockers. If you see them, can't really tell the difference between dockers and black jeans at a glance unless you examine the material like a freak. Can I touch your pants? You know, you don't really know. But blue jeans, it's just like, I'm trying to think. I can't even imagine one of my good friends in blue jeans right now. I guess, thinking about it, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm having little memories of them wearing blue jeans, but for the most part, it just seems really foreign. It seems like we're in a post-blue jeans world now. But, you know, just point standing, someone who looks that way, you don't really know. They might be super far left or super far right, but there's something admirable, admirable to me about that. Uh, about somebody who just, you truly don't know what they're all about. You do not know. And uh, they'd have to say it. They'd have to deliberately communicate that to you, or you'd have to get into a situation where you discuss it. But there are some uniforms that are just a given. And I like it when people in those uniforms surprise me, although they typically don't surprise me. Like, I would have been really impressed if that girl in the goth dress who communicated dark esoteric interests, if in the grocery store I looked behind me in line and she was with, like, just some some dude in a tap-out shirt. Like, she's in this really unique goth dress. She's got some kind of strange tattoos and jewelry and some sort of serpentine tattoos and jewelry, probably a serpent like going around her wrist, something like that. And it would have been amazing though if I looked behind me and I, I see her with like a guy, a guy really tan with a tap out shirt. But no, of course she was with the, the guy from the metal band. Who's instantly recognizable even without a mask, because he's he's very short and squat. And uh you know, I, maybe I shouldn't I'm not criticizing him for that for his, his natural-born appearance. But it's like, if you were going to cast a movie and you didn't want to use little people, if you didn't want to use actual dwarves to play dwarves in a fantasy movie, you'd call up this guy. He really looks the part, which kind of fits his, his role in a metal band. You know, it, does, it works for him. But it was just funny to me, because, you know, I've had involvement in some of the same niche interests as this guy. You know, I've played in, in a, you know, some, some 
much lesser known bands. And uh, I really have no opinion on this guy or his band. I mean, despite the embarrassing fact that I'm talking about him and his girlfriend on here and talking about casting him in fantasy movies, I'm really indifferent, like, or not even indifferent. It's just I, I don't know him personally. All of the little fish in town try to devour him behind his back. I'm, I've been privy to that before. You know, because this, this guy, too, it's like his band, they, they've tried to give this idea that they are of the earth, that they are, you know, very pagan and organic, <laughs> you know, they actually, you know, I, I'm not going to get into all the details, but they basically try to give the impression that they're very natural and of the earth. And I have no reason to contest that, but of course people in town do. They're like, well, you know, like their tour bus, their tour bus runs on this and they, they actually do this. And just, you know, because one of the ways that people try to devour a big fish in their small pond is to point out like hypocrisies or contradictions. And it's very easy to do if somebody has a persona to be like, well, their persona is actually not how they appear, you know, or is actually not how they are. And you know, people do get that way about it, and so people I've known have been like, well, you know, he doesn't even know this. He doesn't even, I, I've heard someone say, he doesn't even know what this rune means. We're talking about a Norse rune, I think that, you know, something, you know, it's just like, he doesn't even know what this means, and it's like, I'm ignorant myself. If somebody wanted to tear me down, it wouldn't be very hard. All you'd have to do is listen to five seconds of this show, for example. Uh, but it is funny to me, like, just recognizing who someone is and being like, oh, I know that, that little man back there. And uh, and it's funny, too, because it's, it's once again from that sort of alien viewpoint where, like, I see that guy and I think, oh, I have nothing in common with that guy. You know, I don't know him personally. I'm not a fan of his band. He doesn't know me. And, yeah, we, we couldn't be further apart. But it kind of goes back to that thing I always reference where... Sometimes you'll have a mutual friend who doesn't really know your interests. They don't really know the taste that goes along with being into a certain thing and how two things that outwardly seem the same couldn't be further apart. You know, you'll have friends like that and they're like, you'll be the best friends. You have so much in common. It's kind of the same thing where it was funny to me that I'm in line with this guy. And they're, from an outside view, they would probably think, oh, those two people are into very similar things. They've been involved in, you know, very similar niche interests, you know, similar creativity, that kind of thing. And, but it's just funny that I don't feel that way, where it's just kind of like, oh, no, that's not true. Couldn't be further apart. But those aliens that are eventually going to look down, that are looking down on us right now, those virgin alien monks, they look down on our world and they say, oh, I mean, they look down at Democrats and Republicans and they, you're the same thing. You both believe in the apocalypse. You both believe floods are going to come. You both believe in fires. You know, you both believe in original sin. You're the same, but uh, those aliens would look down at me and this guy standing in line, and they would say, you guys must be in the store together. <laughs> they would be like, you guys must have come to the store together because you're into such similar things. And what's funny about this guy is he lives right down the street and around the corner from me. And with my first smartphone, I think I'm on my second. God, I'm on my second smartphone. 
I start measuring time that way. How many smartphones into your life are you? But when I got my first smartphone, it was also my very first camera phone. I'd never been able to take photos with a phone before. Imagine telling somebody that 50 years ago. The first time I ever took a photo with a phone. Schizophrenia. The future just... Everything from the future, if you were to tell people about it, just makes you sound schizophrenic. Uh, but anyway, my first camera phone, I was walking down the street, and I walked by the farm where this guy lives. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, though. I didn't know that this guy lived there. But they have a horse, and I've, no, I, I've, I've been seeing this horse for 15 years, and the horse was hanging out right by the fence as I was walking by, and I was like, that's a beautiful horse. And I took a picture of it, and I was like, this is the first picture I've ever taken. And I like that it's of a horse. The first picture I ever took with a phone was of a horse. And years later, I found out that this guy lived there, and that's this guy's family horse or something like that. And it's like, oh, it's funny that these people, they have this reputation for being very earthy and natural and of the, you know, of nature, that's the reputation that they, you know, they, they kind of push. And I have no reason to contest it. I'm just saying that it's, it's kind of a persona thing, a creative persona, as well as maybe a reality. I don't know. But it's just so funny to me. The, the, the first time I used this modern technology was to take a photo of their horse. <laughs> I just, I find that amusing. And I had no idea. I had no idea, and uh, so it's just funny to me, though. It's funny, um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's funny when you, it's, it's funny when you just, like, don't feel connected to people. Not that I have any reason, but I'm just saying it's, like, funny when you don't feel connected to people who are outwardly similar to you. Or, or maybe not outwardly, but just there's people who like, you know, there's only so many things to be into in this world. And, you know, it's like if you meet somebody from your hometown, anytime I meet someone from my hometown, I'm like, we have a connection. And I want to immediately start talking about my hometown. But sometimes you realize, oh, this person doesn't give a fuck. Or there's actually no, there's no real chemistry to it. Or we lived in that town at different points in its history. They're, they're five years younger than me. And my hometown in particular changed dramatically over the span of five or ten years, just in terms of, like, who was living there and businesses that were starting there. I mean, Google set up a, a, a headquarters there right before I left. And so it's like if you lived in my hometown... You know, even for five years after I left, that means you were in the same town as a Google headquarters for five more years than I was. We have nothing in common. Your brain has been con- corrupted and consumed by Google, whereas I escaped with just maybe a few months seeing that Google headquarters. Uh, but it's the same thing with, you know, interests and things like that, where it's just like things, it seems like you you're, you have a lot in common, but I, I think the reality is, is that what gives us commonality with people is often our interest in Miami Cola. Which is funny, because I'll have one more thing to say about this guy who I've embarrassingly talked a lot about, who I've done an entire episode about. Uh, 
But uh, I almost bought Zevia Cola. Not to be confused with Miami Cola. Turns out there's a lot of different things that use the word cola. But I, you know, for a while I was drinking a lot of this stuff called Zevia Cola. And what it is, it's, it's a sugar-free cola that's actually quite good. It's, it's like a zero-calorie, sugar-free diet soda that actually is very good. I like it. And uh, my mom had bought me some before she passed away, and I, I only had one can left that I finished last week. I just saved it. It wasn't one of those things where I saved it because my mom had gotten it for me. I saved it because it's expensive, and I just don't have the money to be buying expensive diet cola these days so i just saved it for that reason like after i drank it i did think like that's the last zevia that my mom will ever buy for me which is a weird thought but uh i didn't save it as some sort of like ritualistic you know it was I, I didn't add a bunch of meaning to that last can of zevia but I did contemplate buying more today when I was in the store. I saw it there, and I thought, no, you know, not today. But I almost bought a six-pack of Zevia. And when I was in the checkout line, I didn't study this guy's items he was buying, but I did glance. I glanced over, and the only product I saw that he was buying, this guy behind me in line, was a, a six-pack of Zevia. <laughs> It was the only thing I saw. Like I said, I just quickly glanced at the checkout, uh, at the conveyor belt, and I saw that he and his girlfriend, maybe it was for the girlfriend. Maybe his girlfriend was the one who was going to be drinking that Zevia. But it, I just thought it would be really funny if I had bought Zevia too. We're both, oh, we're both buying Zevia Cola. We're both, we both don't want to put on any calories. We're both buying expensive diet cola. We're, we've both been involved in niche heavy metal subcultures. It's just funny. It's just funny to me. That's all. Didn't buy any Zevia. Didn't buy any Miami cola. Didn't buy any cola. Maybe if I had gone on a Thursday, I would have. I would have thought, today's charmed. I should leave here with some cola. Maybe Wednesday is different for other people. Oh, fuck, dude. See, I said it. I said it. Like a bad dream coming back to me. That word. That word is like a nightmare I had forgotten about. Wednesday. It's like a bad dream. It's like I just stared in a mirror and saw something I didn't like. But uh, anyway, we can we can get. I can move past that. You know, I, I feel exposed right now. I feel exposed, not just as a liar, because I said I didn't remember that word. I didn't remember the day of the week that today is, the day of the weakness that today is. Not only do I feel like a liar, so I feel exposed in that way, I actually feel exposed physically. 
I actually feel like a harsh wind is blowing on me. My skin feels really sensitive. Tingling. And not tingling in an exciting way, but tingling as if it's, it's being, I'm being exposed to something that can hurt me. And I deserve that. It's important. It's like putting your hand on a stove, to use the obvious example. Like when you say a word like that, when you say, uh, when you describe a day of the week that isn't Thursday and you use the, the quote unquote proper name for that day of the week, it's a lot like putting your hand on a stove. And therefore, it's a reminder. So it's a reminder. You know, it, I would have continued to be overconfident and think that my vocabulary, my lexicon had expanded way past those days of the weakness. I would have grown overconfident, and then I would have stepped on a far more dangerous rake than that one. I would have kept going on overconfident, thinking, there's no other days of the week. I would have, I would have forgotten, and I would have stepped on a rake that just broke my nose. Would have broken my nose, you know. But fortunately, that was just that just stung a little. That reminder just stung. It stunk. <laughs> but yeah, that was my grocery store trip. That was my grocery store trip. And it was a trip. Because I hadn't gone in a while. And, you know, I just don't even know what to make of the world right now. I've been kind of immersed in a, just a mental fantasy that actually hasn't involved much thinking. I've been kind of a, just, my mind has just been, I've been focused on some interests of mine, playing a little video games, not paying attention to things, not sure what's going on at the moment. Not entirely sure. You know, talking to people here and there, but right now I'm kind of in a, this first half of August has turned out to be sort of just a, a mental shutdown, and I think it's necessary. I think that I was just feeling too much. I think my brain had been overactive in trying to contend with the outside world, and I just needed to take this time while I can uh, to just slow down a little bit. I've had to slow down physically. I felt run down. So it's it's just kind of a chance to tune out a little bit. And fortunately, you know, I go through these I go through these periods where I need to tune out and then I always tune back in. It's kind of like it's the catabasis anabasis idea. I do feel like I've entered kind of a catabasis where I've kind of gone down. I've descended a little bit. It's not there's nothing negative going on. I don't feel down or depressed or upset about anything. But I just feel tired and beat up. And uh, that's a form of that's a good form of catabasis. Cuz catabasis can be saying okay, I need to just let myself be a little down or a little angry. I need to indulge in some of that negative thinking, knowing that I'll come back out and aspire toward that ascendant way of thinking again. Because I don't think you should ever give yourself permission to enter a catabasis, to descend, if you don't beforehand have the intention of rising and going through that anabasis. I don't think you should play around with that if you don't have the intention of rising back up again. 
And that can be something where you do just go like, I'm going to be negative. I'm going to talk a little bit of shit, which I've been doing this episode, I think. I've been trying not to, but I think I've been talking a little bit of shit here, you know? And, uh, uh, but you, you give yourself permission to do a little bit of that. And then you, but then you, you come out of it. But fortunately with me right now, I don't feel much animosity. I don't feel any really, I don't feel any animosity, but I don't even feel depressed or down. I just feel kind of exhausted physically and mentally. And, uh, I look forward to that energy boost. I look forward to that contrast. I look forward to a gradual incline. And, uh, and, you know, and the best part about it is I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, I'm in a catabasis. I got to analyze everything I do. I'm playing video games because I'm, I'm in a catabasis. Oh, the re- I got to explain everything I do in some sort of spiritual terms, which I kind of do. But I don't even feel the need to think about it, you know, so that's good. Dear Diary. Saw a man at the grocery store with his girlfriend. They were buying Zevia. I almost bought Zevia. I knew who he was. <laughs> what a world we live in. You know, what a world. You know, it's it's beautiful. You know, I, I, I do feel like God is good. I feel like life is good. It's life, you know. Who am I to argue with it? Who am I to argue with being alive? And the beauty of it is you can. The beauty of it is you can ask yourself, who am I to argue with what it is to be alive? Who am I to argue with life? But you can do a little bit of that. And that's kind of how you end up realizing, oh, I don't need to argue with it. I don't need to be constantly in some sort of sparring combat with life. But I can go through that, and that kind of is what leads you to believe, oh, hey, I don't have to be constantly questioning it. I don't have to be sparring with it, because that's all it ends up being. You know, when you really try to challenge life, when you really try to argue with life, you realize you're just sparring, and life isn't even really sparring back. All it has to do is just point its finger and you fall down. And, and so, you know, it, it, I think you have to spar with, a little, spar with it a little bit in order to reach that point where you say, oh, hey, guess what? I don't need to spar with it. Sometimes doing the thing is what makes you realize you don't need to do the thing. I, feel, I find that that happens a lot, actually. And some of that's ego. You know, some of it's stuff, like I think back about I mean, it could be dating. It could be with women or something like that. I think some people, you know, they're they're so insecure and their ego's so fragile or they don't feel attractive or this or that. And so it's like they feel like they have to participate in this merry-go-round of romantic or sexual validation when sometimes doing that going through that merry-go-round is what leads you to realize oh i've gotten validation from that thing and i've also gotten the sort of existential dread that goes toward seeking that thing all the time so now i can just kind of pull back and say okay been there done that 
And if it comes up again, that's great. I mean, I look forward to being 45 year, years old with a 25-year-old girlfriend. I look forward to that. I'm going to be 45 years old with a skullet ripped with a 25-year-old girlfriend. And she's going to look like she graduated from a liberal arts college, but she's going to be a diehard Republican. She's going to be a Republican Buddhist 25-year-old, and I'm going to be a 45-year-old, and I'm going to look like shit. And that's it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> uh, but uh, really, though, I mean, it's, it's sometimes it, people, you have to do something to realize you don't need to do something. For me, that was drinking. You know, I didn't get into drinking until I was mid-20s. You know, I, I drank before that. It wasn't that I didn't drink, but I didn't really, I wasn't tapped into that sort of life. Like, I wasn't the kind of person who went over to a friend's house with a six-pack. There'd be certain, you know, when I was a teenager in my early 20s, yeah, I would, there'd be nights where I got a little bit drunk or I'd plan it. A friend and I would party. I'd go to parties, that kind of thing. But I didn't get sucked into the cycle of of just constant booze and bars and that kind of thing. I didn't get sucked into that until the my mid-20s and really went, even then, not until my later 20s. But I had to burn myself out from it. I kind of had to go there and do that. I don't think that I would appreciate not drinking now if I hadn't gone overboard with drinking. And people who can just kind of casually do something, who can just kind of casually sustain something, wonderful. That's wonderful. But I'm the kind of person where I've, I've had to learn from burning myself out on things. I've had to do things to realize that I don't need to do them or that I can just do them when I feel like it later, but to not feel this pressure. And I feel the same way about creativity at this point in my life, where there are points in my life, most of my life up to this point, not even points in my life, most of my life to date, I've always felt the need to be working on something. I've always felt the need to be, you know, showing something for that matter, proving something to, to myself first and foremost, be like, okay, you can do this, you can put these ideas down and, and work on these ideas and express these ideas or whatever they are. They might not even be ideas. You can just, you can do this thing and consistently doing that is good. I'm glad that I, you know, it, it was a focus of mine for so long, but I really am at a point, whether it's permanent or not, where I don't, I, I feel like I can just as easily not do that. I can just as easily not do that. And uh, it, it's not something that my identity necessarily needs. Although I have moments where I'm kind of like, well, you know, uh, that is a part of my identity. It is important to me. But I guess I just don't need to be preoccupied with it. And it's difficult for people. When you feel defined by something, it's difficult to detach yourself from that thing. But often it'll, it'll happen organically, and you just have to let it. It doesn't mean it's gone forever. It doesn't mean it's gone at all. But it's and it, it again gets back to the idea of retracing your, not retracing your steps, but knowing the way back. It's like knowing the way back to your childhood home, even if Google is next door, 
even if they've built a new Google headquarters, a lady, even if they've built a palace for Lady Google next to your childhood home, you'll always know the way back. And so it's that, it's that sort of idea where you'll always remember that sort of thing, how you did something. And if you don't, you don't, because that happens too. But it can be fine. It can be okay. And and you know, just with that idea, you know, I th- I think it it helps to. I don't know. I, I recommend people leave room to be a blank slate. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I never wanted tattoos. You know, when it actually came down to it, I desperately wanted tattoos before I was eighteen, and my mom wouldn't sign for me. If, can they even do that? Is that even true? That was always the myth I heard. Was that an urban legend that your parents can sign for you to get a tattoo before the age of 18? I mean, if that's the case, they should be able to sign for you to buy alcohol. You should be able to get a permission slip from your parents to buy alcohol before the age of 21, if it's true that you can also get a tattoo with their permission. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I remember young people with tattoos, but I don't really know the story. Maybe they had a fake ID. Um, but I guess it's a reason why I'm kind of glad I don't have tattoos is because it's like I, I, and I think tattoos are beautiful, wonderful. You know, it's not a criticism of tattoos or people with tattoos, but for myself personally, I like that I can, can be seen without something like, perm- I, I like that there's nothing permanently on my body that tells people what I am or who I am or, you know, not that most tattoos really tell you that, but they can. In the same way that, like, I saw a girl in the store with a, a gothy dress on with kind of like serpentine decorations, if that's even what they were. I don't even know. That's just, that's just kind of the feeling I got. I kind of got a, a serpenty feeling. A serpentine, is that how you say it? Is it serpentine or serpentine? Serpentine? Are you a serpentineager? Um, but in the same way, you can see someone like that, and then when I was like, oh, yeah, she's the girlfriend of the guy with the popular metal band. Not to take anything away from her. She might be the one who... She might be the one who drinks the Zevia Cola in that relationship. That might have been her Zevia Cola, which to me tells me she's in the driver's seat. I'm not trying to say she's just the arm candy of the the metal dwarf. You know, I'm not trying to say that at all. Uh, But I'm just saying, like, when I did end up seeing that she was with that man, uh, I was not surprised. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, of course. Um, But, uh, and it it jars us when we don't see that. Like I said, if I would have been personally amused and impressed if she was in line with a guy in a Seahawks jersey. If she was in line, you know, with a guy with, um, I don't know, you know, any any of those combinations. A guy in a Seahawks jersey with a brand new pair of Nikes and gym shorts. I would be like, whoa, whoa, that's cool. They're going to create an interesting child. The, the goth serpentine princess and that jock are going to create a really interesting child with that combination. 
And that kid is going to be the first Buddhist Republican. No, but, uh, you know, it is that sort of thing, though, where you... I think there's I think there's value to being able to appear as nothing. And I guess it goes back to something... Like, I used to have this joke when I was in college. Like, the college I went to would have... You'd go to a bigger class, and each class would break down into the into these smaller discussion groups. And of course, in every discussion group, you'd go around round robin, as they say, and uh, they'd go around red robin. We'd have these discussion groups in red robin. No, but uh, you'd go around in a circle, and you'd introduce yourself and say something interesting about yourself. Say something about your interests. And I would say, maybe I did this once or twice, I don't know, I'm not going to say that I did this every time, but I would say, Eric, no hobbies, no interests. Which, of course, is, is like way more attention-seeking than anything else I could have said. Eric, art and music. Eric, TV and video games. Eric, Miami Cola. You know, and I don't remember what anybody else said. I don't remember what somebody's name and hobbies and interests were that they actually said, like you were supposed to. I decided to be obtuse. And in doing so, called way more attention to myself. And everybody probably forgot it. Because nobody thought it was funny. I mean, I, my, I was trying to be funny, and I will stand by the fact that that was funny. To me. I amused myself by saying, Eric, no hobbies, no interests. And doing it very quickly. I didn't make a big show of it. Eric, no hobbies, no interests. That's funny to me. In a situation when you're supposed to go around and tell people something about yourself. My name's Eric, and I watch uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You know, you're supposed to say something like that. No hobbies, no interests, no nothing. There's no business like no business. That's what I have to say. There's no business like being a soul just floating right here with no feelings, no thoughts. But no, when you do that in that situation, you call attention to yourself. But there is a part of me that likes seeming that way. I feel like that's a tool. I feel like there's a tool to that to being able to be somewhat amorphous, to to be able to suddenly, you know, it, it's almost, I don't think it's like being a chameleon. I don't think it's like being two-faced. I mean, my joke about being two-faced is, oh, you think I'm two-faced, huh? Well, you should see all my other faces. I'm not two-faced. I'm a hundred-faced. I'm not two-faced. I've got a million faces. And uh, so it, it's kind of like that idea where, it, it, I don't know, it, it is, it's the Odin appearing as a peasant idea. It's sort of a secret agent idea. It's sort of an undercover sort of idea, too. And not that you're doing anything that you need to hide. It's just you're sort of... I don't know, and it's not like you're an octopus changing your colors either, which is sort of a chameleon thing. 
I don't know. It's just I think it's good to be able to appear as neutral as possible in certain situations. And not for your own survival, not so that you don't upset somebody. I just think there's something interesting about doing that sometimes. Like I've talked about going to Korea, and I've never felt more neutral. I've never felt like I've had less of an identity than my trip to Korea, where I couldn't express myself. I couldn't even order a a whiskey Coke without a major song and dance. And... uh, it was interesting, though, because I've never felt like I had less of a personality or less of an identity. And you don't want that all the time. You don't want to live in some totally dissociated state. You don't want to, like, pretend to have dissociative disorder to the point that you actually develop it and can't function with people, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I think there's some value to... Being able to neutralize yourself. And it's it's not always easy. You know, I think it's often difficult because we spend so much time thinking that we have to have this carefully crafted identity. We spend so much time thinking that we have to be interesting. I mean, I know for myself, when I am going to something, if I'm going to a party if I'm going to some sort of social event, if I'm meeting up with somebody, and and I mean, especially if you're going on a date, it's very easy to kind of try to preload yourself. You got to load up some talking points, almost like you're going to be doing an interview. Like you're going to be, like I got to write down the questions I'm going to ask. But instead of that, you're writing down the answers or you're kind of trying to think of all these answers. It's what people do in the shower when they're having an anxiety attack. And they're imagining like what they'd say in an argument with somebody who hasn't even started an argument with them. It's, it's sort of like that. You know, I think the way that we think about our identity, and we don't realize we're doing it because we don't even realize what it is. But it, a lot of it is decoration. A lot of it is an effort to be understood. But I know personally, I find that the more focus I put on my identity, the more I do try to self-express, which is important. You got to get that stuff out. You got to express yourself. But I find that the more effort I put into doing that, the less understood I feel. And... uh, That's just, I think, part of the game. It's not that you're ever going to actually feel more understood, but you accept that you might not be. And as long as that misunderstanding doesn't result in somebody not letting you buy Miami Cola from their store, you know, that's a misunderstanding that I don't want to have happen. I don't want somebody to misunderstand me and say, hey, see that guy? He doesn't get to buy any Miami Cola. He doesn't get to come in this store. See that guy? You don't want that to happen. You never want that to happen. But being misunderstood isn't necessarily 
it doesn't necessarily expose you or make you more vulnerable. People can easily do that. And, and But a lot of the people who are going to be, there are people who are going to aggressively misunderstand you. Those are people with problems or an agenda. And they will aggressively misunderstand you. And what I mean by that is they will deliberately misunderstand you. They will twist your words, not hear certain things you say, while hearing other things a different way than you intended. And we can never truly know what someone intends. But, you know, I think you want to avoid aggressive misunderstandings, and you can do that by reading people. Not playing the game that somebody's playing if they're the sort of player who plays that way. Because it's like playing a game where you know that your opponent deliberately cheats, or you know the game is fixed, and not a game that's fixed for anyone in particular to win. Because so many of these things in life where you get misunderstood deliberately, or somebody uses a, a misunderstanding against you in some way, they're not going to win. Even if they somehow are able to paint you a certain way, if they're able to tell the story that they want to tell for whatever reason they want to tell it that way, even if they succeed in doing that, they're not truly successful because they haven't honored the truth. And that's a good opportunity for you to say, do I need this? Do I need to engage in situations where I will be aggressively misunderstood, or worse, where I will aggressively misunderstand other people. Because it's not like most of us are passive when it comes to these things. You know, when you get into an argument with somebody, when you it, it, it again goes back to when you start playing somebody else's game that is based on those rules or lack of rules, you start doing what they do. If you think somebody else is cheating... I mean, that happens in relationships to get, you know, because that's a game. Relationships are a form of game. Even though they're important to us and they're valuable, they're still a form of game. But when, you know, a lot of people cheat in relationships because they think their significant other is already cheating. Whether they know it or not, some people, rather than oh being like, oh, I think my significant other is cheating and maybe I should address it or get out, they sometimes are like, well, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to cheat on them just in case so that it's not one-sided. And sometimes what ends up happening in those situations is the person who did this sort of preemptive cheating, like I'm going to cheat because I feel they're cheating and I don't want to I don't want to be the one with nothing. Sometimes that person finds out that their significant other wasn't cheating and that they just they ended up being the the scumbag they ended up being the one who did the thing that they were afraid of having done to them. But that's what happens when you start playing by those kinds of rules or non-rules. You can very easily become the person who aggressively misunderstands someone else. And to me, that's worse than being aggressively misunderstood by the other party. I would way rather have somebody judge me for the wrong reasons than judge someone else for the wrong reasons. But the reality is you're probably both going to be doing it if you're playing that game. And so learning how to kind of have a non-identity, learning how to be neutral, 
learning how to to not be recognized necessarily i think is an important skill to have and again that doesn't mean doing it in a, in a deceptive way it doesn't mean being a wolf in sheep's clothing or a pool shark i don't even know how to play pool i just like to come to pool halls and sit by miami cola and watch the good players play but hey do you want to play pool you want to play around and you just annihilate the competition. Oh, gee, I didn't, I didn't know that I was going to win all your money. I didn't know that... I, I'm just a guy who comes to the pool hall and likes to sip uh, Miami Cola. I didn't know I was going to beat you all out of your money. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you, you don't have to be that guy. Although you can see where people use that to their advantage. You can see where people use being kind of amorphous. It's like if Odin were just purely evil. If Odin were, you know, from the underworld, he might take on those forms of other people and other things to manipulate someone. And he kind of does. You know, if you're familiar with Norse mythology, you might have read it like I did and think... Hey, you know, even though these are the gods and demigods and the protagonists of the story, they're really shitty to the giants. They treat a lot of other creatures and other, other entities in, the, in this world unfairly. Even though I like those characters, even though I like those gods. You, you know, you can look at it objectively and, and kind of notice some things in there. Like, hey, maybe these guys are kind of manipulative and dishonorable sometimes, but maybe that's why they're an even greater example. Rather than just being these supermen who only do good, maybe it's better when we can see the gods being less than perfect and use that to our, not even advantage, just learn from that. Just be like, okay, we have these examples of imperfect gods in mythology, in theology, and maybe we can use that and apply that to ourselves to actually make ourselves more like gods when gods are doing good. At least to use that as that most, that most distant shore that we may never reach, but we still might get pretty far. But yeah, it's, I think having that ability to just be like, you know what, my identity doesn't need to express itself right now. Because how much of that is just my ego needing to be recognized, needing to be right? And once your ego gets invested in, let's say, an argument, you know, well, that's how you start breaking rules yourself. That's how you start being manipulative yourself. That's how you become a pool shark. Which I've never thought about visually. Like, I've never thought about a shark in a swimming pool in relation to that term. I don't even know. That's not even really what it means. It's just saying that somebody's kind of like a predator. They're a shark when it comes to playing pool. But I've never thought of the other side of it, which is a, a, a great white shark in a swimming pool. But the great thing about all this is that neutralizing yourself in being willing to let your identity sit 
and settle and uh, to be a person with no hobbies and no interests and nothing to say in a given moment, you do still have the tools to do the, do the opposite. You'll never forget the directions that take you back to your ego. Even, you know, when you need it, because you need your ego, you know, you need to survive. You need to do things out of self-interest sometimes. You need to express yourself just for the sake of expressing it. We're human beings. And so I think striving to, you know, have that tool, that absence of identity, it's not that you're going to lose the other tools that you've been using your whole life. And you might realize you don't actually need them. But you'll still know how to use them. They'll still be available to you. Because those are things that we just have. We just have those things. And I would say adding... I I would say in many ways, you know, maybe this is the wrong way to think about it, but being able to neutralize yourself, being able to be a blank slate, depending on the time and place and situation and all of that, even though it seems like you're taking something away from yourself, a lot of things, the things that you think make you who you are, you're really adding a new tool. And again, maybe that's not the best way to think about it. Maybe that's a little too hands-on. Hands-on that tool. Maybe it's a little bit too much of that. But if you're having trouble with the concept, if you're having trouble wanting to do that, if you're like, why? You can see it as something that you are gaining. You can see it as a tool that you are putting into your possession. And that's something you can do with pretty much anything. You can do that with just about anything. But that's about it. Tomorrow's Thursday, and say it, and say it loud. Say it loud. Today is Thursday. Tomorrow is Thursday. Yesterday was Thursday. In three days, it's going to be Thursday. Just say it, and say it loud. That's the day to express yourself. I'll, I'll probably not even do a show tomorrow because I'll be too busy expressing myself. I'll be too busy on those rooftops. I'll be on the rooftops of houses that don't even belong to me. The ro- I'll be on the rooftops of houses that belong to total strangers and all they're going to hear close by is a voice say, It is Thursday. And all will be well. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave This golden land to me And when the morning
sun reveals her hills and plains. I see a land where children can run free. So take.